Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is Thursday, October 3rd, and we're talking last mile delivery. I'm your host, Nick Seipel, and today I'm joined in studio by Molly Full contributor Dan Klein. What's going on, Dan? Uh, Not too much. How are you? I am doing all right. You are in town because the two of us are going to the very first AEW TV taping tonight. For folks who aren't familiar uh, with this, can you give them the rundown? So basically, this is the alternative to WWE, and we've we've done a couple of shows on WWE. This is the first wrestling promotion that's on a major network, TNT, that has real strong financial backing, and they're using sort of more of a sports-based promotion, so or presentation. So instead of sort of some of the comedy, some of the soap opera, you're going to get a little bit more wins and losses, uh, and it's some names you know or names we know. Yep. And really, a lot of sort of up and coming talents, but sold out in a what sixteen thousand seat arena. Yeah, I mean it's it's the first time there's been a legitimate challenge to WWE probably since WWCW uh, ended, you know, late '90s. So uh, we'll see how it goes. Exciting times if you're a wrestling fan. If you're not, maybe not as exciting. But anyway, <laughs> I was going to say we'll follow this up on a consumer good show at some point. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. But uh, as I mentioned off the top, our main topic today is last mile logistics. And I think this is particularly relevant these days because with Amazon and others, more and more popularity of one day, same day shipping, that sort of thing. And those things are really cool for a consumer, but they aren't magic. For all that stuff to get to your door, it takes a lot of moving parts. And last mile logistics is exactly what it sounds like, moving those goods the last mile from the transportation hub to your door. And it's among the most difficult of those moving parts in the logistics supply chain, what we're going to be talking about today. So, Dan, First off the top of the show, what is kind of going on in this arena? What are companies trying to do to solve this problem? So, at the moment, it's very manual. Now, there's absolutely robots. If you go into an Amazon warehouse, it is giant robots working next to people. They don't look like robots in the cool sense. Um, you know, they're boxy. But that's bringing stuff where people are still doing a lot of the picking and a lot of the ordering. There is technology, and I saw a lot of this at grocery shop, to take this to a sort of more minute level. And then there's the second piece of the taking it from the warehouse and bringing it to the person, which could be automated. But right now, a lot of companies are throwing a lot of labor at getting you same day or next day delivery, and they're not charging very much, if anything, for it. Yeah. And as you mentioned, this is an incredibly complicated process. So, how great is it for the consumer that folks aren't charging you for something that just requires all these moving parts, Dan? Well, I think we're at a weird time for consumers where market share is more important than profit. Because, and again, I think you and I have discussed this on air before. I have like seven different food delivery apps in my phone, and maybe they charge $2.99. Some of them might even charge $5.99 for a certain size order. But they don't charge more for the food. So I don't have to leave my house. I don't have to deal with waiting in line, paying all of the other things. They bring my order to my door for $2.99 or zero. That's pretty good. And Amazon, I didn't ask Amazon for one day delivery. I could care less most of the time if Amazon is getting me one or two day delivery. I simply want to get what I'm looking for. And all of a sudden, now I just get one day delivery, and that is expensive. And a lot of that expense right now is in people. And that's you know the, the numbers we've talked about. There are 100,000 people pulling Instacart orders. There are 45,000 people pulling Walmart grocery orders for curbside pickup and delivery. Those bodies cost money, and they're not really being priced into the system. Exactly. And, and 
with the current state of the labor market, they actually are beginning to cost more and more and more. We've seen uh, some some businesses having difficulty staffing out uh, what they need uh, uh, to accomplish there, uh, which has had them pushing more into automation. We've had some concerns. I think there's literally one presidential candidate whose entire campaign is about concerns that jobs are going to be taken away <laughs> from automation. So this is something that's really very much on uh, consumers' well, minds. Let's talk about that a little. So. Grocery stores have automated checkout. Not fully, but there's most places have self-checkout. Grocery stores are largely not employing less people. They are putting more people on the floor in customer service roles, which leads to greater sales, which makes it easier to employ more people. The challenge is, what's the tipping point? So if you're Walmart, and you could use technology to eliminate not only checkout, but self-checkout. You just put your stuff in the thing, it charges your credit card, you're, you're out the door. Well, at some point, you might do that, but that's very, very, very expensive to do across a large store. You're talking you know, billions of dollars across a chain as big as they are, and what are you saving? You're saving employees making $13 an hour. So your short-term investment for your long-term payoff, that's a tough one to get companies to make. Yeah, certainly. And uh, maybe we're reaching the point where some of this technology, the price has come down enough and the cost of labor, given the current state of the labor market, has come up enough uh, that we see some investments there. Uh, another place that companies have been investing to kind of prepare their workforce for this transition has been investing in retraining their staff. Can you talk a little bit about what Amazon and some others have done there? Yeah, so Amazon has basically looked at its labor force and realized that it employs a lot of people who have jobs that will be automated. But it also has a lot of job openings. So one of the things it's been doing is going to its employees, and Walmart has been doing this as well, going to its employees and saying, here are the roles we're going to need going forward. Here are the steps you can take. And they're paying for the training. That's a lot cheaper than laying you off and saying, oh, well, hey, Nick, we laid you off as a, as a podcast host. How are you at driving a truck? <laughs> like, And the reality is, if they teach you to drive a truck, they'll have a truck driver. You'll appreciate having a job. You might be cheaper than an experienced truck driver because you just learned how to drive a truck. So it works for everybody. And companies are going to have to take a very active workforce approach because, yes, we're going to automate, which will create less jobs. But there are 6 million job openings, according to the, the recent Glassdoor report that came out a couple days ago. 6 million openings, and there's probably a couple million more openings that companies aren't even bothering to, bothering to advertise. Because if you can't hire an entry-level guy, can you hire the three people above him? It becomes very challenging. So I'm guessing we're at a real crisis, and that is going to force automation at some of these, as is the need to, yep, we're going to spend a million dollars to put in a system that does a lot of our grocery order packing, and that's going to cost us in the short term, but in the long run, three less people are going to work here, and that's worth it to us, because we can't find those people anyway. Yeah, just, just we're, we're seeing what appears to be, as we've we've pushed more into this, this same-day logistics and its demand from consumers for these products, uh, really, just automation is going to have to happen uh, to make to have this make sense. There's been a lot of talk for the past decade or so that that automation is going to be taking away jobs. It hasn't happened as quickly as folks might expect. You can look at productivity data going back to 2000. We've seen productivity start to slow, which is inconsistent uh, with as much you know automation as we've seen. However, we're starting to see a lot more investment and some more technology uh, become more cost effective. I think one of those that you called out to me that you wanted to talk about a little bit is RFID and how the the cost of that tracking technology has reached a point where you can really start using it at a bigger scale. 
So I, I sat down with, and I apologize, I'm forgetting her name, but a vice president from Avery Dennison, the labeling company at, at Grocery Shop, and did a wonderful interview that technically uh, had some problems. Uh, so otherwise, you'd be hearing it right <laughs> after this. And what we talked about is RFID, which is the ability to track any item. So you can embed essentially a chip into a bag of potato chips, an individual potato chip. You don't want to eat them, but you get what I'm saying. And that used to be affordable on a pallet basis. So to track inventory in a warehouse, it has long been a useful tool. So you know, hey, we got that pallet of refrigerators came in, and you could update your inventory, do all that. That is cost-effective now on an item-based level. So that's how something like an Amazon Go, and I don't know if they use exactly RFID, but the ability to look at one item, and that takes labor out in a lot of ways. You don't have to send someone to the shelf to go, uh, how many uh, boxes of rice are left? You know how many boxes of rice, because when it left the store, it tells you if it left the store, it's not on the shelf anymore. So your ability to manage things, and that also allows you to do some smart planning, and Nike has actually done some of this with RFID, where you go online to buy a pair of fairly rare sneakers, and they can look and see, you know what, these sold out in West Palm Beach, but boy, in North Dakota, the, the store still got six of them. Let's have North Dakota ship that order because it'll be good for them. They'll get rid of something that they're having trouble selling, and it's not going to cause us to have to have the West Palm store ship it North Dakota to West Palm to you. It can go directly to you because they know where all their inventory is at any given minute. Yeah, and that's becoming more and more important over time. And just for folks who, who may not be aware, RFID stands for Radio Frequency Identification. Uh, it allows allows to track uh, uh, inventory, those sorts of things that have an RFID chip on them as they move around. Another area which I think is really exciting, um, particularly when it comes to autonomy, probably the first place where we're going to see autonomous vehicles in our day-to-day life are some of these low-speed, small, autonomous delivery vehicles. There's been a number of startups in recent years in this area, Neuro, Refraction AI, Starship Technologies, Marble, Kiwi. But more recently, we've seen Amazon get involved in this space with its Scout robot. Uh, These robots are particularly interesting. you think of for, for autonomous vehicles, they're driving on the main road. What these cars or these these vehicles try to do is they they hang out in bike lanes or on or on uh, sidewalks. Uh, they they drive at, at low speed uh, and go over over low distances. And an exciting part about this technology is it's autonomous technology that we have the technology to deliver this today. So when we talk about full scale self driving um, for for full size vehicles at highway speeds. Uh, you need a more robust sensor suite like LiDAR or something like that, which can become prohibitively expensive. However, at these lower speeds, uh, you can use a more basic sensor suite, so it's easier to get these things to market. As well, there's less risk to injury to folks, and you you know uh, don't have to deal with less regulation because you're not using this, this, the, this, the surface streets. However... I'm very skeptical <laughs> about this. So, this is basically the size... It's a device the size of like a small bathtub mm-hmm. in terms of storage capacity that... Crawls along, takes you know if, the, if it's a mile away, it takes like half an hour to make the delivery, and its capacity isn't that great. So I see some uses for it. You, you've been to my to my home near near Disney World, and that house is literally a mile away from an Amazon distribution center. There's a lot of homes clustered in there, and it might make sense for them to. And there's a straight line sidewalk that those vehicles could probably work on because people bike on them. So, okay, in that neighborhood. But you know what else there is? Kids with baseball bats. 
And we've seen it with scooters, the sort of wanton destruction or just carelessness of it. I have a hard time believing the Amazon robot that costs who knows what, but I'm going to say $40,000, is going to get destroyed out of sort of casual glee. It, it doesn't seem to me like a sustainable idea unless you're talking college campuses, sort of niche places that are very enclosed, uh, maybe delivering you know, a couple of city blocks or something. But I cannot picture this turning its way into my crowded development, going by a bunch of kids playing basketball and not getting harassed. Yeah, that, that's been a concern, as you mentioned, with scooters. I actually saw a story today from your hometown <laughs> in uh, in Fort Lauderdale, a classic Florida man story, a uh, guy who had been arrested for cutting the brakes on over 100 electric scooters. They've invented a word for this uh, called tech lash. I, I will say that I'm a little bit more optimistic on the, on this technology reaching the market. I think Amazon investing this is a signal that you know at least they see uh, some, some economic uh, viability for, for this. Um, you know, you, when it comes to these sensors, they're surprisingly less expensive than you would think. But however, there's another problem. We've been talking about the last mile problem when it comes to delivering delivering goods. However, these robots aren't going to go to your door. So maybe you <laughs> maybe you've solved the last mile problem, but you have but you haven't solved that last fifty feet problem. Any thoughts there, Dan? On are folks going to come out of their front door and walk to the street to pick up their packages? See, I think the problem is Amazon has created a different expectation. They'll bring it in your door in, in some cases. So, you know, is, is there a niche use for this? Yes. If I am at home and have the flu and Walgreens, which is testing drones in one tiny city, and Walgreens will fly me some Theraflu, some chicken soup, and some throat lozenges, and I don't have to leave the house, I can, it'll parachute down to my front door. I see a strong value in that. In most cases, what are you buying? that you need Amazon to bring you immediately. Like, I get it, you're a new parent, you're out of diapers, all right, that's very important. But for the most part, there's a CVS everywhere. Yeah, there's convenience. I see the food delivery aspect of this. On the other hand, we don't generally live as close to many of the places we eat from as we do to an Amazon or Walmart uh, distribution point. So. All of these technologies are going to be in the mix. I mean, I've seen the autonomous Amazon vans. Those make a lot more sense to me. But again, you get the van to my door, I'm not going in the back of an unnamed van. <laughs> you know, so right now, we're just playing on the edges of all this. And I actually think most of the automation is going to happen into getting the right product from the warehouse to a truck. And there's still going to be drivers in most cases. Or I live in a building with a doorman. And we get Amazon uh, grocery, uh, so Whole Foods, and they're in special bags, and they all come at once. That would make sense for autonomy because it's a big order coming to someplace who could receive the order. It's not being parceled out door to door individually. That could happen, but I don't think you're you're ever going to have like a a humanish robot. Maybe not ever, but in the next few years, you're not going to have a human like robot who's like, "Here is your order," like that. <laughs> Which, by the way, it has to talk like that if if we have that. Yeah, I, I tend to I tend to share some of your your concerns. Although to your question of do we need it that fast, I could have said, you know, ten years ago, do I need something in two days? Why can't I wait a week? I think customer expectations have quickly uh, contracted how long they're willing to wait before goods uh, come to their door, and it's continuing to contract. Do you feel like Amazon made a mistake with that? Because I, I look at one day delivery. And I totally understood the city-based same-day delivery, because when you live in a city, and, and I, both of us live downtown in, in a city, I have less room. 
So it is quite often that I'm making dinner and I need something, and I will pay Instacart to show up in an hour with whatever item I'm missing. That's a, a convenience that's worth it for me. And Instacart does charge more. You pay more than the grocery store price for the item. You have to get to $35. You have to pay for delivery or be a member. That's worth it to me. I'm not sure if I need a sweatshirt. It's ever like, all right, it's cold now, better order a sweatshirt. I think for most things, Amazon has created an expectation that's too expensive to deliver on. Yeah, I, I see. I see some some of your points there. I, I think Amazon's move in, into same you know one day delivery is more to make the rest of the. I mean, it's going to be <laughs> tough for the rest of the market too. Uh, the rest of the market had answered their two day offering, and uh, you know if they can stay one step ahead of the rest of the market, they may they make the rest of the market bear those expenses as well. That that remains true as well to their them increasing their uh, minimum wage across the board. I think they want to keep the pressure as much as possible on their competitors to differentiate their offering. But I, I do agree with your point. There's not a lot of things I need in one day. Often they'll say, hey, if you can wait a week, you can click this button and we'll give you the free dollar or the extra dollar to buy something on Amazon. I, I, I do yeah, tend, I, to, I, tend to click that. And I think what you will see, and Amazon has this ability, is more, call it predictive ordering. It would make sense for Amazon to analyze what I buy and send me, hey, these are the things you buy and the schedule you buy them on. Can we deliver you these things all oh, once a month? And they do subscriptions, but we've talked about my complaint about Amazon subscriptions is you can't customize them. So if it's something sold in a three-week supply, you can only get a once-a-month delivery. doesn't really work. But I do see them using their AI, their intelligence that they've applied to their warehouses and what they stock, and be able to give you a customer-facing, hey, I see you buy dog food every week. Do you have a dog? We'll send it to you on Friday and you they don't have to rush it as much. They don't have to or they can use the logic of saying, "Hey, we're doing same-day delivery in Nick's neighborhood. We'll bring him his dog food early." Like that kind of stuff in efficiency, I think you're going to see Amazon and Walmart really lead the way with and then maybe a year later you'll see white label versions of it. Yeah, one example that comes to mind is if you remember maybe 6 months a year back, Amazon rolled out this offering that said, "Hey, if you want to, we can make sure you get all your Amazon's delivery the same day, uh, you know, the whatever one day a week that you always get those deliveries. And isn't this so convenient for you? And uh, they, they sold it that way. But what it really is is, isn't it a lot easier for Amazon to deliver you <laughs> one package one day a week than to bring you five different packages five different days a week? So I, I do expect. But, but but I actually think so. I use that service sometimes because again, I live in a building. I don't get deliveries to my door for packages. I have to go down. There has to be someone there. I have to wait for in a line. Then I have to carry up a bunch of stuff. So if I know there's nothing in my Amazon order that I'm going to need, I will place my Amazon order and have it all come in one box. Usually I end up ordering things on their own as well. So I see a very strong value in that in the very niche market of, or if you live someplace where your door isn't necessarily a safe place to leave a package, so you know you can be home when the UPS guy gets there on Thursday, then it makes sense to have Amazon deliver on Thursday. Um, I, yes, I see that it benefits the company, but I also see consumer benefit to it. Yeah, it it works out nicely that way. I, one one topic I did want to want to talk about briefly, but before before we go away, you mentioned the Walgreens drone partnership. Uh, we chatted about this a little bit before uh, before we started taping. A lot of people have been saying, you know, maybe going on seven eight years that oh drones are or drones are gonna are gonna become more and more significant when it comes to logistics. Based on what you've you've seen following this market, how do you expect that to roll out and what? 
applications do you think drones will have in logistics? So drones are absolutely going to have help with inventory and warehousing. They already are because you don't they're not public places, so you don't need any of the same licensing. I don't picture a world where I stand out on my balcony on the third floor and a drone flies up and brings me a sub. I, I just don't see it. What I do see is my family has a home in rural New Hampshire. It is six miles from the, cro- the closest CVS or grocery store. But it's also six miles where there aren't very many people around. And that would make a lot of sense for drone delivery because you're taking the danger factor away. You're not likely to hit someone. You're not likely to have a kid with a baseball bat knock it out of the sky. And those roads aren't super easy. There's there's not a good way to get around. There's no efficiency in delivering via truck. Um, you know, I have neighbors, but not that many of them. So I think drones are going to be a tool, and they already can do a lot of the things they need to do. But nobody wants a sky filled with drones delivering Chipotle. Like, yeah, we talked about the tech lash thing against the scooters. I, having, as you mentioned, uh, enough drones to where it can deliver it to your balcony on your apartment. I, I can just see the backlash from folks. I see these drones all over the town. They're they're causing all this noise and distru- disruption, as well as you have to think about. You know, the FAA has to worry about how many things are flying around in the sky. You have to track these things for planes and those sorts of things. So I, I do tend to agree that that, that last mile in rural spaces were really where, where, where drones are. And, and we sense. haven't talked about, but UPS, you know, got permission to essentially build a drone airline, but they have to have flight paths cleared. And so this might make a lot of sense for UPS in certain markets to be like, hey, once a day we're doing a drone to your remote office complex. So just tell us what you need and ship back what you need ship back. There's a lot of all of this technology is interesting and will be useful. That little rolling vehicle may make sense in certain areas where you're shipping small things to a lot of different people, but none of these are the answer. And I think what we don't know yet is what is the technology that's going to make last mile delivery affordable? What is going to take all the expense out of this? Because you can't be making a ton of money same day delivering me $22 worth of lunch. Like it just doesn't make that much sense. Yeah, man, I've ordered toothbrushes on same day delivery. I can't imagine that's efficient for the company to be doing that. But uh, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, before we go away, Dan, I just high level going forward. What's your biggest question going forward in the, in the transition of last mile logistics? What are you following? Um, you know, really, what I'm following is how they're using people and the sort of slow prodding move to. Almost every decent player, you know, down to like a Publix, some of your not public companies are starting to automate some part of the delivery process. Even some of the restaurants have a second line that's operating specifically for delivery orders, so they're they're actually serving those. It's sort of how those develop and how those automate. Because we talked about it before, McDonald's could automate food production. The food would come out better and closer to what you order it. But what would it cost for them to install that equipment? So you're going to hit the tipping point where Target says, we can no longer find enough where warehouse workers, or the turnover is too high in warehouse workers, where we want a warehouse that instead of being 50-50 automated in people, has a couple of people that are polishing the robots and making sure everything runs correctly. Dan, thanks so much for coming on the show. For our listeners, if any of y'all have some thoughts on where the future of Last Mile Logistics is going, would you be knocking over one of these robots when it drove down the road? <laughs> Why don't you shoot us an email at industryfocus at fool.com. Dan, as always, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. As always, people in the program may own companies discussed on the show, and and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the glass. For Dan Klein, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening, and Fool on!